A legendary name in hardcore supplementation. Iron Mag Labs. 100% original, patent-pending Andro Compound. The most effective, hardcore, groundbreaking, bodybuilding supplements in the world. In the world. Iron Mag Labs. Revolutionizing hardcore supplementation for more than a decade. Visit IronMagLabs.com. IronMagLabs.com. Welcome back to Central Bodybuilding. I'm your host, Jeff Roberts, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Matt Wyke. And on today's show, as I said last week, we have bodybuilding royalty on the line, uh, the one and only John Romano. What's up, John? Who's the royal? Where's the royalty guy? I, w- I want to meet him. <laughs> He'll be on next segment, I guess. <laughs> next segment. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's so funny it, if, if you just last long enough people just really start revering you hey well uh it's like you, you the fucking dexter treatment right exactly the older you get the more people go wow man that guy's still alive <laughs> respect <laughs> yeah how you doing matt i'm doing good i mean Obviously, we had some technical difficulties the last couple of weeks, which we got figured out. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what. I've I've been waiting for this episode for over a week now, and and I'm so excited to have John on the show. Um, I was talking to my wife before we even got started. I'm like, you have no idea like what this guy has done to the industry. I mean, he has shed light on so many different topics. I've followed him for so many years since I was you know an up-and-comer in the industry you know, reading his articles and his stuff with RX now and just following his whole career. It's it's like it's like a gigantic celebrity. It's like we're talking to Arnold. Yeah. In our in our little world it's like uh we're talking to I don't even know, Stephen King or something, right, John? I I, t- I tend to look at myself as sort of a fungible mess, but if you guys want to put it up in there. <laughs> <laughs> that category. <laughs> I wouldn't put me up with Arnold. Come on, guys. Let's be realistic here. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 go ahead. I had the same the same thing. Like I try to. I'm. I've had you on. This is the third time I've had you on one of my shows. Yeah. But um, the first time I remember talking to my buddy, and I'm like trying to explain who you are and stuff. And it's hard to someone who's an outsider to explain the significance of of people in the industry and I'm like no no you don't understand this guy's this and this and this you know but uh everyone listening to this show understands who John Romano is and what he brings to the table and uh if you ever if you say any words that I don't understand I'm going to call you out and ask you what they mean that's for sure <laughs> yeah we we actually already talked about that prior mm-hmm. to you jumping on the the call we we're like you know what if if we don't understand something we're going to have to ask, you know, one another, like, hey, do you know what that means? And if not, we're going to have to go to the gallery and, and ask you what something means. <laughs> we're we're not the brightest, so you'll have to uh, kind of dumb it down for us a little bit tonight. I'll, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep words to like a three-syllable maximum. Okay? That would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, th- there's this vivid memory I have of a RX Muscle. Well, it's Heavy Muscle Radio. One of the – I think it was soon after you – made your return to heavy muscle radio where you you went on this big rant about the pussification of america and how uh, like little league teams there's no winners it's just uh they're they're contestants there's no winners and all this all this horse shit and how it's how it's uh, affecting america and how it's affecting everything and i uh, actually lee and i on the other show talked about 
talked about this as well, and he, he would agree too. And just uh, like the whole bullying thing and how, uh, how I mean, I personally think that bullying is just kind of a natural process that happens everywhere. It's part of like, it's, it's a kind of like part of development, you know, but um, <laughs> I wanted to get your, your thoughts on just on that in general and what you think that's doing to society and everything. And then we'll, and then we'll roll into how it affects bodybuilding. For sure. Well, you know, I, I, it's one of those topics that sort of bugs me. I have few pet peeves in this world and, and, and pussies are one of them. And, um, I've, you know, I think hard about these topics at times because I don't understand why, you know, you'd have all of a sudden an entire, um, uh, an entire generation that's like, lost their way almost you know and and i really noticed it significantly in mexico and i and i've actually come to believe that there is an actual physical reason and a and a societal reason and and the and the, the actual physical or or environmental reason is well, if you, if you look in Mexico, Guadalajara specifically, you think of Mexico and, and you think of like these Mexican banditos with the big mustaches and their macho, you know, bravado, bravado and, and, you know, it's just a very macho, um, masculine, macho uh, uh, society. It's been at least portrayed that way. Um, you go to Guadalajara and you realize that there's six girls born for every one guy and that the guys that are born, practically all of them are totally effeminate. I mean, there are no like macho, you know, do Mex, you know, dudes that you'd think of like in the, uh, in the, in the, you know, in the movies. So I'm like, what's going on here? And I came to find out from a friend of mine here who owns a water softening, a water purification company, that there are extremely high levels of estrogen in various cities' waters. And Guadalajara is likely one of them because of pollution. You know, you get estrogens that leak, leach out of medications and, and waste and, uh, you know, hormones from, from various, per, you know, processes in, in industry, whatever. And they all end leach into the ground and they end up in the water system. So you've got, you know, ultra high estrogen coming in through the food supply, which is obviously responsible for so many female births and such effeminate dudes. So play this forward in America. Now the same situation or similar situations exist in some cities like this friend of mine who has the water company can attest. And, you know, I think that part of, part of the pussification of America is, is, is credited to the environmental impact that the pollutants have had on our, on our food supply and our water system. So I think that, I think that in some cities we're getting a lot of estrogen when normally we wouldn't. So there's your, you know, physiological end of it. So society wise, um, you know, I, I think the parents of the kids today, the millennial generation today, these parents are, are destroying this generation by making absolute pussies out of these kids. And we talked before about, you know, you can't play baseball because, you know, there can't be any winners or everybody gets a trophy because everybody was a winner who tries. And, 
you know, this whole idea that, you know, you've got to, you know, uh, have safe zones and words hurt and it's just absolute nonsense that gets proffered these days to, to these to these kids who whose parents innocently just wanted to give them a life better than they had, not as strict upbringing, not with parents that weren't as strict and overbearing and not as many rules and not as many, you know, responsibilities. Then they coddle these kids to, to death. And now this is what we have. We have a generation of absolute pussies growing up who, who just have no concept of what it means to, you know, to tough it out when it, when the going gets tough. And it's funny you say that too, because I look at the future, you know, as it as it stands right now with what that may hold and and become. And the scary part is none of you know the younger generation, I don't see them being leaders in any industry that that is known to man because of the fact that they're being coddled their whole life and everybody's a winner. And whether they try hard, they don't try at all, whatever the case may be, they're going to be considered a winner for participating. Right. And that's not the world that we live in. No. Like, you don't go to work and, you know, put in a half-assed effort and get rewarded for not doing, you know, a, a substandard job uh, and, and, you know, getting yelled at for that. You know, it's just it, – it, it blows my mind what the future holds when – we're basically teaching our kids that ah, as long as you try, ah, you're a winner in our eyes. Unfortunately, like you said, unfortunately, that's not real life, you know, and and these these the, the millennial generation that's that's at mostly at fault for personifying the pussification of America, uh, they, the sense of entitlement and lack of responsibility uh, is is just astounding. And, you know, it, it is direct result of this coddling nature of these, you know, uh, parents that have just absolutely turned these kids into absolute pussies. And it goes all it goes back to the, you know, the knee pads and the elbow pads and the shin guards and the helmets just to ride your freaking bike with training wheels. You know, what what is that shit? Yeah, I agree, John. Uh, it's funny you talk about uh, the, the, the water and sort of the pollution and that sort of shit. Um, I think it's also the food, all the all the soy and um, g- the glutamates, um, sure stuff like that in the foods. But it, it's true because you you speak of uh, uh, the 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 prior generation being different, uh, more more badass and stuff. And it's totally true because I, I look at the guys that are my age. Um, even my, you know, my, my friends and stuff and compared to our fathers, it's just a whole different look and attitude and everything. I mean, the guys now, the jobs are mostly at computers or tech jobs and and stuff like that. Or before they, they more work with their hands. They're more physical The you know, even one generation back from, from my generation and, and Matt's as well. We're about the same age. Um, it, they, they were leaner. Uh, more muscular, just more manly, more badass. They 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 fucking handled their shit. And the guy the guys now, I mean, thirty year olds now already have bitch tits, and they're soft and like sensitive. They all got moon faces. It's just, it's just not the same. Um, 
that this generation is uh, just less badass in general. And I don't know. Do you think that's a a continuing trend? So, well, I'm probably close to your dad's age. So that's that's my generation. You know, um, so, you know, yeah, when I was a kid, man, it was, you know, the cops used to beat us. You know, we got beaten at school. Parents beat us. You know, we got we got, uh, you know, you had work to do. We had chores. You had, you know, responsibilities that included, you know, doing things that were a little bit scary, you know, but it, it was part of life. We all survived, you know, and I look today and I compare myself me being, you know, a, a teenager to the teenagers today, what I had to freaking do compared to what they got to do is just completely night and day, you know. So um, yeah, so I'm probably, I'm, I'm, I'm probably of that, you know, generation that you're, you, you know, that, that's in your father's generation. So yeah, I can, I can relate to that completely. It's, it's, you know, kind of being in this industry, you're sort of always you know, out in the open and you, you meet all kinds of people from all demographics and all age groups. And you really kind of can see the difference, you know, generation by generation to the point where, you know, the badasses of my generation are, are, are a dime a dozen today. Where are the badasses today? They're all in England. Well, I am mostly English, so I guess uh, there's still hope for me. <laughs> um, how do you feel that this Pussification of America has affected um, our industry, uh, specifically bodybuilding. Work. It comes down to work, and and this this is the, this is like the, the most important word in 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 the bodybuilding vocabulary is work. The problem is when you say the word work, you say the word work to me. It means complete something completely different. To, to then to a guy that's you know 25 because work to me means I'm working my freaking ass off I'm working you know I work night and day I sleep five hours I, I work my ass off and I do it as a kind of natural way I am I just work and when it comes to bodybuilding I fucking work hard you know my sets are hard I I you know you know going to failure is 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 a uh, is a journey that, you know, is requires work. And, and that's just the bodybuilding aspect of it. The, 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 the building aspect of it, being a bodybuilder takes work to be successful. You got to be out there, social media, promoting yourself, you know, getting around, you've got to make a name, you've got to get, you know, self-promote, you've got to do a lot of work to, to be, you know, a, a, a visible, you know, person these days because the sea has been so, um, you know, the, the, the population has grown so much within our industry. So the guy that works the hardest is the guy that's going to be the most successful or the most known. So you take this younger generation who that work is an alien concept to them. They don't understand what work is. And you expect them to and they, they wonder why. You know, they're not getting a contract and nobody's paying them, you know, 80 grand a year to lift weights. And why do they have to, you know, do social media? And how come, you know, they don't have, you know, 8 million likes just because they're they're them. They don't want to work. So, you know, I, I notice this a lot with my clients, my younger clients, you know, in contest prep, 
or and even CrossFit, the younger ones are way different than the older ones. The older ones, you tell eat sawdust, stand on your head, and do curls with a 50-pound dumbbell. And they'll say, okay. You say that to one of these younger guys, and they go, no, my hair will get flat. You know? So it's, it's complete. <laughs> I don't know. I can't relate to some of these guys. Matt and I actually had a conversation uh, right before we got on about some of the uh, uh, fairies he's had to yeah, it's it's funny because um, and and John, I don't know how familiar you you are with uh, my career. I was with Metrex uh, as a regional manager and then running their team sports division in total for just under ten years. And yeah. we've had a whole slew of of athletes. I mean, we'd ha- we've had everyone everyone from Dexter Jackson back in the day to Phil Heath to obviously Nicole Wilkins, who's no longer there. Uh, Marcus Haley, Jason Post, and Greg Plitt, uh, a whole bunch of people. And, and I've got to, you know, get to know some of them. And and some of these, you know, men's physique guys, kind of like Jason Poston, they they have this diva mentality that everything is should be handed to them, that uh, you know, that they're they're a status symbol for for some reason. And everybody who I've spoken to who Jason has worked at their booth has had nothing but negative things to say about him that, you know, it's not only like the work ethic, but it's like they expect to show up to the booth and have everything, you know, handed to them like a, a King's chair that they need a throne there and, and all of this stuff. And I've never had any other athletes like that ever. Phil never once came up to me. and was like, uh, Hey, can we, uh, you know, do it this way or that way at the booth or he showed up, he did his work. He signed his autographs. He took pictures. He smiled, shook hands, kissed babies. And, you know, at the end of the day, he put in his work, nothing, nothing more was expected of him because he exceeded everybody's expectations. And, you know, some of these newer guys are coming in and it's just frustrating that you have to coddle them just to do what they should be, you know, doing anyways because it's part of their contract right exactly yeah john do you feel that if you took a bodybuilder who was let's say he built himself up to five foot ten 250 pounds in true contest condition and he did that uh, via hard work um he worked a job didn't rely on uh, contract money and took um, a reasonable amount of drugs low uh, low drug doses uh, so on. If the same guy got to the same 250 pounds shredded at 510, but he did it with higher amounts of drugs, sitting around at home all day because he had a big contract, you know, the easy way, uh, do you feel that those two physiques would be markedly different despite being the same person? Absolutely. For sure, they'd look significantly different. And they'd look significantly different for two reasons. One is, you know, the, 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 just the physical aspect or the, or the effect of hard work, um, would be readily evident and longer lasting. And, and, um, you know, the other aspect of it is, is the sense of pride in what you created when you freaking work hard and you make something, whether it's, whether you're building a body or a, or a house, the, 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 the fact that you worked hard and created this thing and you busted your ass and you, and at the end of the day, when the dust settled, you ended up with this magnificent structure that you created. Well, if you really busted your ass and worked hard to make that, it feels a whole lot different than if you just kind of like took a pill and woke up that way the next day. 
So you you have a a presence about you, the way you exude your uh, you know your your sense of self. You're much more confident and much more badass attitude wise when it when you know that you're the what you've produced is the result of you know a trip to hell and back. So I guess I guess that whole topic touches on from us talking about how people don't want to put in the work. Like what's what's your thought on the gurus of today? I mean, years ago we heard of, you know, Hani Rambod working with everybody, you know, the the pro creator and and all of this stuff. I mean, does it really come down to these gurus being the best at what they do? Or does it come down to guys like Aceto and Hani and Dennis James and Farah, Charles Glass, those guys, where the the science and the drugs has, you know, elevated the game to a whole new level where they don't have to put in as much work and, and the gurus take most of the credit. So, I mean, do you feel that the gurus are really worth their their name these days? Or should we be touting, you know, drugs as as what's really jumping up the 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 platform so to speak of of bodybuilding these days huh well you know i've been i've been coaching athletes for 30 years now you know um i learned my 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 guruism from the original guru so duchene so i know guru from a very basic scientific standpoint and to be quite honest with you the athletes that I prep today, I prep the exact same way I prepped them 30 years ago. I don't do anything different, nothing, zero. So, um, and I get great results. I've never had a girl place out of the top five. They always get the first call out. So, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I got a really good track record for a really long time. And, um, and, and I don't attribute that at all to me. I attribute that to them, the athlete who does the work. So guru should be, it's a coach, okay? And your job as a coach is to advise, motivate, and guide the athlete to, from wherever their starting point is to as, as high a point as you can possibly help them to achieve. But it's not you doing it. It's them doing it. And that's the problem with some of these gurus today is that they believe that they are the shit and that nothing can be done without them. And that God forbid, if they ever disappeared, there would never be a winning physique again on the face of the earth, (laughs) which is completely not true. And if you go back into the day, there were no gurus back in Arnold's day. Who, Who was Arnold's guru? Who was Franco's guru? Who was Frank Sane's guru? There weren't any gurus. They just did what they had to do because they know they knew this is what you got to do to get to the stage. They just did it. They fed off each other. They supported each other. It was a really a, a strong brotherhood back then. And that was it. There were no gurus. So now you've got gurus all over the place. And unfortunately, um, the newer ones have seemed to have perverted the, the the guru aspect into into something that's just it's dreadful really i mean you don't need them um i think 
having an extra set of eyes is beneficial when you're getting ready for a show. I think having someone to bounce stuff off of, but when you're getting ready for a show is great. If you're a newbie and you don't really know what you're doing and you're taking the advice of, you know, a seasoned old, you know, soul who's been around for a long time, just kind of guiding you through. That's a, another way of looking at it, but to, to take a, a top level pro today and believe that they need a guru in order to compete, I think is ridiculous. They just need, they, they should know what they're doing. I mean, how, how, how many times does Dexter Jackson have to get ready for a show, bring in the exact same high, super incredible level of condition? How, when does that become, when does that become a function of his doing and, and not a function of, of the guru's doing? Yeah, the whole guru um, craze to me is, is a bit confusing just because I feel that bodybuilding is a very individual uh, journey um, at its core. And that the whole point kind of is, is finding out what works for you, what doesn't work for you on your own. I mean, how many bodybuilders say, oh, I didn't like team sports because you relied on other people and all this stuff. And now with the guru, you're kind of throwing that whole individuality, find it out on your own um, factor out the window, which to me is kind of the whole point of bodybuilding. Well, well, I think what people lose sight of is the fact that bodybuilding is very unique as a sport because it's, it's not, you know, if you're a basketball player, you, you go to the game, you see the basketball player play basketball and and it's, it's an actual game that they play. When you go to a bodybuilding contest, you're seeing people pose on stage, but what it takes as a sport, what it takes to get to the stage is really where the sport is versus you know, other sports where the, you know, the action is actually during the game in bodybuilding. By the time you get to the game, it's freaking too late. The show's over. I mean, if you didn't do, if you didn't do the job to get there, then you're, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to do very well. So the actual sport of bodybuilding is the entire season leading up to the contest. So, you know, uh, all of what's involved in getting to the stage is part of the sport. So dieting is part of the sport. Training is part of the sport. Suffering is part of the sport. You know, getting a tan is part of the sport. It's all part of creating what you're going to see on stage is part of the deal. So um, you need to know what to do. Now, you know, as I'm not trying to I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job, but as, as a guru, you know, yeah, I do do, I do give my clients their diets. I do adjust their diets. I, you know, guide them along the way because they really don't know. But after you've gone through it, you know, two, three, four, five, eight times, you should be able to do it yourself. There's no reason why you need, after you've repeated this process successfully several times, there is no reason why you need a guru. There's no reason why you need anybody. John, I'm going to ask you the age-old bodybuilding question of which physiques do you prefer, um, like the 90s type physique or the modern physiques um, and and with all their differences and why? Um, You know, what I I prefer is, 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 
how can I explain this? What I, what I prefer is when I look at a bodybuilder, I, I want to see something that reminds me of artwork, statues that, you know, Michelangelo would have made. To me, that's the, 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 the real pinnacle of bodybuilding. When you can look at a physique and say that that's beautiful, the way it flows together, the lines, the musculature, the de delineation, the separation, etc. So if you take a guy like Cedric, no, let's take, uh, yeah, Cedric McMillan, great, great example. Or, um, I don't know, can't think of right off the top of my head. Who, who took second in the Olympia? Um, Sean, Sean Roden, right. His name just escaped me for a second. Sean Roden and Cedric equally have amazing physiques. Tiny, tiny, tiny waist, just an amazing genetic structure, just an incredible you know, gift that they, that they got from creation. Okay. Then you look at a guy, um, you know, even Ronnie Coleman towards the end, even Jay Cutler towards the end, that, that it's just overdone. I mean, it's past the point of, 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 of comprehension that that's just so, you know, massive and, and convoluted and, and just every muscle exploding from everywhere that it's just, it's just a blob of giant striated muscle. And they you know, they forgive the big bloated waist. They forgive the lack of symmetry. They forgive, you know, uh, the, the aesthetics and the pleasing lines in favor of sheer unbridled mass and, and, and shreds. So I, I don't prefer that. I prefer, you know, I prefer the, 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 the Sean Roden physique. That's, you know, t the, the contemporary version of what I believe is, you know, a, a, a continuation of what Flex and Kevin and Chris Cormier and, and, and Paul Dillette to a degree, Lee Priest as well, brought from that, you know, era of the 90s. If you play that forward, I think you get a Sean Roden or a Cedric McMillan. I don't think you get uh, a, a uh, you know a Kai Green or or a or a, um, or a uh, uh, Phil Heath. So um, yeah, I, I prefer you know little waist, wide clavicles, big sweeps in the quads, the the, the traditional X frame. Um, your favorite Olympia was the 98, I believe you said, is that correct? Yeah, that was, God, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. So in regards to that 1998 Olympia, uh, it, it was a phenomenal show. We had guys, uh, I don't know the exact, I believe it was, we had Ronnie winning, obviously, uh, Flex Wheeler in second, uh, Cormier third, it must have been, was Cormier third? I believe yeah. Cormier, Nasser was yeah. in there, uh, Lee Priest was in there. You know, Kevin, obviously. And these guys were all, I mean, f fairly huge. Uh, I mean, I would say pretty close to the size they are today, the the, the top guys. But the, the, the main difference I see when I look back at that show is the size of the waist. Even the guys in the last call-out or the guys who were, um, quote, mass monsters like Nasser, all still had small waists. No one would look at Nasser posing in 98 and say, oh, he's got a blocky midsection. It's just, they all had small waists. So my question is, how come in 98, all the guys were able to be huge, lean, and uh, maintain a tight waist, where the guys today, 
are, are failing to do that. For some reason, they can't be huge, lean, and maintain the small waist. Their, their waist, it seems like they have to be large. What's the difference? Well, I, I think it's two reasons. If you look, if you put like Roly Winkler next to um, Sean Roden, for example, okay, genetically, I don't care what Roly does, his waist is never, ever, ever, ever getting as little as as Sean Roden's. It's just not made that way, okay. So, so genetically, you've got a, a limitation right there. So you've got to have, you know, bodybuilding is not for everyone. And that's goes completely against what Weeder, you know, promoted his entire existence, but it's, it's just not true. Bodybuilding is, is, is for the truly few gifted genetic masterpieces of the world. That's who should be a competitive bodybuilder. So, you know, genetics gives you the structure, the tiny waist, the broad clavicles, the, the, the sweeping lines. It's all genetics. You can work out if you have if you don't have that requisite genetic foundation, you can work out to the cows come home and it just doesn't matter. You're never going to get that physique. But but because you think you can, you still keep going. So genetically, there's 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 a there's a set of checks and balances that exist that you just can't do anything about. Now, on top of that, you know, why are the waists getting so so, so big? Well, you know, the bodies are getting bigger. I mean, you got to remember when Dorian Yates stepped on stage at 250 pounds, he was out there all alone. He was the first guy to ever do that. And then now how many guys are over 250? Almost all of them. So, you know, it, 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 they're, they are bigger. So now if you grow muscle all over your body, you're going to grow it in your abs too, your abdominal you know, midsection from your back to your front is also going to get muscular. So, you know, you, you, you distort the, 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 the lines by becoming overly massive. So, you know, you, you take a guy like, like you take guys like Wheeler and Lavroni and, and even, even Ronnie Coleman, you know, back in, in the late nineties, they were not as big as they appeared bigger because they had great proportions. You take a guy with a 28 inch waist and a 50 inch chest is going to look way bigger than a guy with a 40 inch waist and a 55 inch chest. Okay. So the illusion, the illusion of the lines is going to, is, is going to, you know, give you a sense of, 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 of size on stage that may, may or may not be, you know, accurate in real life. So it's, I think it's the combination. I think it's, it's, it's the, it's the fact that we have so many bodybuilders competing today that some of them have great genetics and some of them don't, but the ones that don't are not dissuaded by it and compete anyway. So combine that with the fact that, that they are just massive, massive people who got way more massive in the off season and then dieted down. Remember back in the old days, they grew up to the show. They were smaller in the off season than they were on on stage so you know it was exactly the opposite nobody was dieting down for a show they were growing into a show so 
you know, you don't have that today. You have people dieting down. So in the off season, they get up to 300, 350, you know, 350 pounds. Well, well their stomachs are going to grow. The musculature in their abdomen is going to grow along with everything else. And when they diet it all down, they peel off the fat. Well, all that muscle's sitting there and that's freaking in their midsection. It makes them look big. Add to that the fact that, you know, they're carb loading to, to like these crazy, you know, ideas of carb loading that, you know, make them, you know, hold, you know, fluid or food in their gut, you know, makes their gut stick out more. So all of the food, all of the muscle, all of the genetics combined together and you got a bunch of big guts. You know, it's interesting because um, now that you say this, um, the way that you said it, uh, I, I'm thinking of how the guys now have looked before they were top pros. Like, let's take a guy, like, perfect example is Evan Senapani. Evan Senapani, when he turned pro, looked like the guys from the 90s. He, he had a tiny waist. Um, even though Evan's not known for a small waist, and, he, and no one would say he has a small waist today, he had a small waist then. Phil Heath, five years ago, looked like the guys from the 90s. Uh, Dexter, 10 years ago, looked like the guys from the 90s. Not anymore. Um, I I think it is, now that I think about it, it's this natural progression. If you take, it's a lot like uh, a a sport like, uh, I was was really into freestyle uh, snowmobiling when I was a kid. And a sport like that. So we started with, they would do a Superman off the jump and and shit like that. Stuff now that's a joke. Um, And it was cool. It was great. it, it It was awesome. And then they started doing backflips, and it blew everyone's mind. And then they started doing front flips and uh, just just craziness. And, and it gets to the point now, now it's getting to the point where it's too dangerous. I think the sport is going to – and same with freestyle motocross. Motocross is even a better example. You have guys doing triple – like just insane stuff and jumping so high that it's starting to become – a, a fucking liability. The guys are too good, and they've pushed it so far that I think the sport is destroying itself because it's progressing too far and becoming too dangerous. Um, I feel like that's exactly what's happening to bodybuilding. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was watching, you know, flipping through the channels a few not long ago, and I saw these guys doing freestyle snowmobile stuff. This guy did a double backflip on a freaking snowmobile. Okay. Now, who would have even dreamed of doing that 10 years ago? If you did, you'd have to wake up and apologize. I mean, (laughs) who would do a backflip on a snowmobile, let alone two of them in a row? Okay. So, yeah, you know, all sports, as we get, as the athlete or as the participants in any given sport, become more and more proficient and you see this in you see this in talent you know generated sports you know cycling you know freestyling uh, skateboarding snowboarding skiing you know th- these things that you can you can actually you know continue to modify and, and push the limits with they just get to the absolute extreme but if you have limits on how far you can go, excuse me, with what you do. For example, auto racing. You know, auto racing is heavily controlled. If Formula One 
was left to its own devices, the cars would have 5,000 horsepower, they'd go 400 miles an hour, and we'd be peeling race drivers off race courses with paint scrapers every weekend. <laughs> so, so you know, there, there's, there's, you have to impose sometimes for the good of the participants, the good of the sport, and the good of the audience – you have to limit these things because they just get out of hand and they become uncontrollable and you can't watch them. If NASCAR was going or if those NASCARs stock cars were going around the track at 400 miles an hour, you wouldn't be able to sit in the stands and watch them. So, you know, it, it would destroy itself. So, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, bodybuilding has sort of, it's it sort of progressed unbridled. No one has put any limits on bodybuilding, even though they've tried in the past and, you know, it's come on, it's, it's the only sport that is so drug dependent that, and they don't even try to not use drugs or say that there's a drug testing policy or whatever, which is really unique because all other sports do. Um, it, it's really the, this, this thing that's left to its own devices. And, and because bodybuilding is an extreme endeavor to begin with, and then you take that to the extreme. Well, that's why you got what you've got now, because nobody put any limits on it. Well, it's interesting, too. And, and Jeff and I have talked about this on several different shows. And, and that is bodybuilding as a sport has evolved so far from back in the day to where we stand right now today. And when you look at other sports, it's it's not you know, subjective in the sense of, of how bodybuilding is, whereas other sports, there's a scoring system that anyone can look at at any point in time. You know, if you're watching it on television, you can flip back and forth between four different football games and at any point know who's winning and who's losing. And in the sport of bodybuilding, we don't really get to see that until after the show is over. And at that point, you really have to go do your own research and and find the scorecards online. You know whether it's NPC News Online or you know RX or or whoever. And and something that that Jeff and I have talked about is 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 there a lack of transparency in the sport that might help the sport if somewhere along the lines of the competition you knew exactly where everyone stood. So, you know, obviously, you know, just think about the last Arnold um, in Columbus. It, it kind of went back and forth between Kai and Cedric, and eventually Kai ended up winning. And there was some controversy in there. But had the scores somehow been shown, you can kind of follow along and say, oh, OK, well, yeah, OK, Cedric did better here or Kai did better there. And, it you know, it gives you that objective scoring where – you know where everybody stands at any given moment versus you're literally waiting until they announce who the winner is. What's your take on that? Do you think that we need some type of transparency in the sport that it would help it progress, maybe even gain more followers to the sport if they could understand the scoring a little bit better versus just looking at a whole bunch of guys up on stage and then all of a sudden they announce a winner? I, 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 think, I think the judges – need to be more vocal or, and more, um, you know how they have like America's got talent or the X factor. The judges are, are, are the show they're right in the, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, right. they're, 
They're yep. right up in front and they're talking and, you know, they're explaining why they're doing what, why they're voting the way they're voting. And that's really way, the way it should be. Now, you've got you just by just by natural selection, you have judges that are judged better than other judges. And, you know, like Steve Weinberger is probably the best judge there is. So when Weinberger is the head judge, everything seems to work, come out right. I mean, everybody seems to to place the where they where they should place. And and it, it, it's all good in the world when he's not there is when we have problems. So. <clears throat> You know, unfortunately, Weinberger can't be at every single show every single weekend. So, you know, and he he needs to be cloned because there's absolutely no discrepancy when he's the head judge. So um, be that as it may, you you can't have, uh, you know, other judges that that just don't have that level of acumen. Whether you have transparency or not is not going to make any difference because, you know, in a, in a pro bodybuilding contest, the three high scores and the three low scores get thrown out. So they cancel each other out. Now you've got the middle, you've got the, 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 the middle scores are the ones that count. And, and if, if you're lucky and you get, you know, a, a, a judges that are, you know, Weinberger and Weinberger disciples, you're going to get, a, you know, a really good result. If you don't have that, well, then who knows what you're going to get. So, um, I don't think transparency really matters. I think that I, I would think that the, because bodybuilding is so subjective, there should be some kind of like, you know, America's Got Talent type judging atmosphere that would involve the audience to the degree where the judges are actually explaining, well, look, I marked this guy down because his lats are attached really high versus the guy next to him whose lats come down a lot lower. It makes his body look, makes the V taper look a lot stronger. And he doesn't have a lot of, you know, it looks like he's missing a lot of mass in the middle like the other guy does. So the judge could explain that. Then, you know, the people who've walked into the bodybuilding show for the first or second time can say, oh yeah, look at that. His lats are way up there and these guys are down here and the guy that's got the lower lats look at, he looks like he's got more muscle on him and the guy with the higher lats looks like he needs to fill his physique up so yeah I can see that now that the judge said something but the judges don't say anything so h- how do you know what anybody's looking at and where anybody's weakness is or what the point of contention is like you just said between Cedric and, and Kai wouldn't it have been nice to know that, or for the judges to be vocally saying, well, you know, Kai's low back is just so insane and Cedric just doesn't have that fullness back there, you know, and I, I, I can see, and, you know, you can sort of justify why the judges are making their decisions if someone's explaining what they're looking at and what they're, you know, agonizing over in terms of trying to make a decision. So the fact that the judging is almost anonymous is, uh, I think, part of the problem that the, or what breeds part of the problem when it comes to the validity of of the judging. And I don't think we can take anything away from the judges. I mean, I've I've watched shows where you know they go through their mandatories, their you know quarter turns and stuff like that, and it, the pose literally lasts two seconds. And the fact that the judges have to go down the entire line and not only look at every single physique, but then try and quick compare. You know, the guy all the way on the right versus the guy all the way on the left and then the guy in the middle to the guy next to him. 
I, wow, I don't know how they do it in that short period of time. So, I mean, it's not a knock at the judges in terms of, you know, their responsibilities and what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's one heck of a a job to have to try and compare people in such a short amount of time. But I, I completely agree that there should be some type of dialogue. I know when, when I take my wife to a show, she leaves it totally clueless. She's like, okay, so the, the guy in the, in the black trunks won. Okay, cool. And, and she goes, but why did he win? And I sit there and, you know, I have to try and portray, you know, this this picture and paint this picture for her of, of the differences between the athletes versus exactly like what you said. If you have America's Got Talent or, or anybody like that, where there's some dialogue as to what they are looking at and why they are doing things and placing people certain ways based off of whether it's, you know, thick waist, high lats, whatever the case may be, holding water. Um, I think that would definitely help the sport. It would, it would pull in more people because they would understand it better versus, you know, you literally have to go do your due diligence to figure out how they're even judging people. Otherwise, if you pull somebody in off the street, sit them there and say, okay, watch this and tell me how and why people place why they did. They would just be like, I I have no idea. They, they all look very similar. Yeah. And and I think it adds a sense of validation to what you've done. I mean, if a guy like Weinberger puts you in first place, you know, that's more meaningful to me than, you know, some other guy that's, you know, judges wrong half the time puts you in first place. So, and, and by the same token, if, if, if a judge like Weinberger tells you, you know, and you say, you know, what do I need to work on? And he tells you, you know, what to do, you, by and large, you would probably want to do that. Versus, you know, another judge who, you know, has judges wrong half the time, you know, so I I think offering these judges some, you know, sort of celebrity status in in the sense that, hey, this is the judge that gets it right every time. And, you know, so does this guy and so does this guy. These are the judges you want to be judged by because being judged by them means a lot more because of their judging accuracy and their judging finesse than you know, just some, you know, schlock job judge would give you, you know, one weekend you could win and the next weekend you could come in the last place being judged by the same, you know, group of people. So I I think that that's, I think that accountability in, in, if the judge, I think if the judges knew that, that their vote was being observed by everybody and the people that are observing it want to know why, you have judged that way. I think judging itself would improve tremendously. Well, take Bonac for an example. I mean, how Bonac goes from fifth place, and no disrespect to Bonac, I mean, Bonac looks great, but how he goes from fifth place at the Olympia to you know winning a show looking exactly the same with basically the exact same lineup minus Phil left people kind of scratching their head like, huh, okay, so what changed – when looking at pictures and obviously, you know, you, myself, Jeff, Dave, you know, we're, we're not at every single show. So it's hard to depict somebody's physique when, you know, we're not there. You don't get to see the live, you know, 3d look, you only see what you see in the the photos, but it's kind of like they, they look the same. Like how, how does one person place fifth and then a couple weeks later place first with the exact same look you know, or vice versa. You have somebody who wins a show and then all of a sudden they're placing fourth and, you know, like the next show, like how does that happen? And, and, you know, I think that dialogue of, 
of why people place a certain way. And obviously there's going to be things that can be touched on. You know, Kai has low, you know, his lats go almost basically down to his waist. He's not going to change that. So the judges can say what they want, but it's not like you can go back and take that type of, you know, con- you know, constructive criticism and say, oh, well, OK, I got to get my lats and bring them up higher. Like <laughs> that type of that type of stuff's not going to happen. Right. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that that dialogue would truly help people understand why the judges are are looking at things differently than maybe what you or I uh, look at through pictures. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with everything you said about Steve Weinberger, for sure, except the 2012 um, New York Pro where Kevin English beat Samuel Haddad in the 202. (laughs) But in regards to the topic at hand and the bodybuilding judging, the the problem I have is is this subjectivity excuse that I I just – I cannot stand when somebody blames subjectivity for bad judging because – you cannot have a successful sport that's based solely on subjectivity. It, it just doesn't make sense. So, and there are other sports, very successful sports, that are just as subjective as bodybuilding. Um, we talked about freestyle motocross, freestyle um, snowcross. Those are subjective. They, 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 there's a panel of judges that that judge how they flip and everything. Um, gymnastics is subjective. Skateboarding subjective. Snowboarding subjective. This kind of the same as bodybuilding. Ice skating is uh, um, subjective. Uh, synchronized swimming, diving, all these are are subjective uh, technically, but they 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 never use the ex- subjectivity excuse for why somebody wins. And the other the main issue I have with this is Matt talks about his wife not knowing what's going on at a bodybuilding show. If we brought our wives who know really nothing about bodybuilding to a gymnastics event, you can tell a a normal person who's not into gymnastics or skateboarding or snowboarding, uh, take snowboarding. You can tell why Sean white smokes all the other guys. He's better. It's like you, you can tell in bodybuilding. You can't really tell why one guy wins and another guy or another guy loses without being uh, uh, intimately knowing the sport. So I think that's an issue. It's hard for people to be drawn into a sport that they completely don't understand. Um, and, and to say, well, it's subjective. That's why this guy got over this guy who... That, that's, you can't, that, that holds no water to me because there's other subjective sports where it works out fine and you don't have to go to that, well, it's subjective uh, excuse. The- the problem with that is, is that in the other subjective sports, you know, freestyle, whatever, you know, gymnastics, swimming, diving, uh, figure skating, figure skating is a great one. Um, you know, there, there are requisite moves that you have to include in your routine. So let's just say in figure skating, it's a double axle. Okay. Now if you're a seasoned figure skater and you know what a double axle is supposed to look like, you can pretty accurately determine if the person executing that move is doing it at a very high level or not. It's a very different from a bodybuilder hitting the front double bicep pose. I mean, you could be an expert, you know, poser and know the nuances of hitting that front double bicep the best in the, in the entire world. But unlike figure skating, 
It matters what you look like while you're doing the front double bicep. It doesn't matter what you look like when you're throwing a double axle in a, free, in a figure skating routine. So you've got sort of a double-edged sword there that you've got to actually you know, hit mandatory poses at, at, at a very proficient level, and you have to be you know, shredded and big at the same time. So, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to non-subjectively judge a bodybuilding show is absolutely impossible. Um, I, I always toyed with the idea of having like this, you know, this computer generated image of the absolute most perfect physique possibly, you know, con conceivable. And that you would photographically lay the images of the competitors over, you know, the computer generated ideal until the computer crunched the numbers to the degree that it was able to spit out the athlete that best mimicked the computer generated, you know, um, personification of perfection. So if you could do that, then you're taking some of the subjectivity out. But the fact that you need genetics, symmetry, condition, muscularity, and, and proficiency in, 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 in espousing it, then showcasing it, then you've got, you've got a very difficult thing to, to manage there. And for someone to walk in off the street and say, oh, I, I, I've never seen a bodybuilding show before. Yes, I am totally confused. Why did this guy win and why did this guy not win? Well, it could, uh, it could be a very justifiable win. It just might take you an hour and a half to explain it. But th th that's the fact. There's too much going on in a bodybuilding contest in too small of amount of time for you know anybody to have a fair shake at really understanding what the hell is going on unless you are really a seasoned bodybuilding fan or bodybuilder. Well, this is the third time I've had John on one of my shows and I've always tried to pay homage to um, Dan Duchesne during the shows and uh, this show will be no different and I I was trying to tell Matt which drugs uh, Dan brought to light because it's a, it's a very impressive list, but I couldn't remember them all. Um, could you kind of go over that, John? Like which which drugs Dan actually kind of uh, in a way created, mm -hmm. and then uh, if you if you have any good um, Dan Duchesne stories, I know he liked to experiment on women with his with, with his um, drug cocktails and everything. Do you have any uh, great stories, and uh, what did he actually bring to to light? <laughs> wow, that's a big question. Well, I mean, drug-wise, I mean, I mean everything from you know lidocaine mixed in with your syringe to to be, ease the pain of a no ester suspension to you know how to use a cyclin the right way, which nobody uses anymore. Metformin, clenbuterol, GHB, Nubane. Um, almost every drug in use today is probably in some way, even diuretics and antiestrogens. And, you know, th these are drugs that, that Dan read about in medical literature and, and thought that they would have an application in bodybuilding. The problem is he needed lab rats to, you know, to prove the point. And, um, you know, I was one, I was definitely one of his lab rats uh, and, and, a, 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 maybe a, a small handful of other guys were as well, but for the most part, the women were the willing lab rats that let us 
try everything out on and they just were just let us do it. And I, I remember one, you know, female bodybuilder in particular before the Miss Olympia was having a real problem with her calf cramping. So Dan says, uh, you mind if I you mind if I shoot a little lidocaine in there? It might, it might help. She said, yeah, go ahead. So he gives her a shot of lidocaine in, in, in her calf and it seemed to work. It stopped the, the cramping. So I don't, does anybody do that today? I don't know. Probably not. Um, the very fact that just somebody let, let him do it was pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> and the fact that we you know we got a good result was, you know, probably serendipitous, but, um, but the, the fact that, you know, the women were an integral part of what we know today because they are the ones who Dan experimented on predominantly. And um, now I don't say experimented in, in, in the sense that, you know, there could have been a, a tragic outcome had things not gone the right way. And the, 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 um, the applications were certainly calculated and well-researched and well you know, thought out and understood before they were applied. But nevertheless, you know, a lot of what is done today is done today because he thought of it and decided to do it. And the only people willing to do it were women. Did he ever experiment on you with any substance that was uh, like had a shocking effect or a shocking ill effect or anything like that? Anything that really sticks out in your mind? Clenbuterol. Clenbuterol was just wow. I mean, probably GHB too. Um, the fat burning of, and, and DNP. Let's not forget DNP. Um, yeah, th those three. Well, I got to put these into categories. Okay, ergogenically, I would say that um, clenbuterol, uh, probably clenbuterol, fasten. Um, DNP and GHB were probably the most profound in, in, with respect to fat burning. Um, is a funny story. I always like to think about when Dan and I shared that, uh, building in, in Venice. So I had the front apartment and he had the middle apartment. Um, we shared a wall and, um, th these apartments had a, had a front door and they also had a, a side door that went in through the kitchen. And of course, you know, Dan and I, we never knocked or, you know, he walked into my house. I walked into his house. You know, we even had keys to each other's places. Um, I was, I was up, up on a ladder fixing something on, on, on the ceiling. And, uh, he walks into my kitchen and he, and he says, John, you probably want to get down from there. And, and I said, why? And he holds up a insulin syringe that had something in it. And he goes, because you probably don't want to do this hanging up on a, standing up on a ladder. <laughs> I go, oh, God, what is that? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was Nubane. So, um, yeah, that was my first shot of Nubane. So, you know, it, it was uh, probably not the best thing to do. But, you know, in terms of, in terms of you know, utilizing the benefits of that stuff, you know, it, it had to come from somewhere and it came from him and every single person that, you know, has used that in the past for better or worse owes that experience to him. Probably it was an in, in, in terribly uh, non-pleasant thing to be known for. But fact is, 
lot of bodybuilders use that stuff and it's got, you know, it's got its, it's got its merits. Last thing, how in the world is there a show called Iron Debate at RX and you have, you're yet to debate Chris Aceto on the upcoming election? I don't understand it. That has to be, that has to be done and it has to be done soon. I, I, I have to see that. Well, you know, we just—it's so funny you say that because we, we, Dave and I talked about that on the show just this Sunday that he wants to get Aceto and me on a debate, you know, Trump and Hillary, and and uh, you know, I, I, I think it would be a very short debate. I mean, he's adamantly anti-Trump, and and it, it's not that I'm so much pro-Trump, but I'm anti-establishment, and um, I'm really worried more than anything this political cycle about the implication on the Supreme court. I think that's the most, really the most important thing. I mean, sure. Everybody wants strong borders and good trade deals and, you know, safety in America and a better relationship with the communities and the cops and lower taxes and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I just think whoever stocks that Supreme court over the next eight years with, at least two, three, maybe four justices, because absolutely going to alter the course of America. And um, I think that's what everybody should be the most worried about when they're worrying about the fact that Donald Trump said pussy in a uh, in a bus. <clears throat> you know, I, I think Aceto would be like, I would love to debate him because he's a very intelligent guy and I know it would be a great debate. But um, I, I, I just... There's just no argument. Nobody can possibly make the argument that 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 that, that the, the fate of the Supreme Court lies in the hands of the next president. And we just cannot have a left extreme left leaning liberal make those decisions. I would tune in for that debate. Hands down. <laughs> I think we need to make that happen. I, I'm I'm all for well I, I think we'll do it I mean Dave is Dave is in the process of actually this tonight they, they called me in it was a their last show from New York and Dave's moving to Florida so um, RX Muscle is officially leaving New York and going to Florida and uh, um, we talked about Aceto and I doing an iron debate and debating the presidential race. Yeah, he's moving it down to Port Charlotte. What's interesting is my parents live in uh, Punta Gorda, and uh, my mom trains at Mel's Gym, Second Chance, where uh, Dave will be training. That's that's tiny. I used to live in – that's where I live in, Punta Gorda, Gorda, and I trained in Port Charlotte at the Gold's Gym, which is now Mel Chancey's gym, which is where – yep, which is where Palumbo will be training. Yeah. You know – if it wasn't for the fact that the that the ocean was brown there, it would be a really nice place. <laughs> well, that's all I got. Uh, great show, and uh, you have any last words, Matt? No, I mean I I can't say thank you enough to to you, John, for for taking the time to jump on our show. Uh, I I you've been an idol of mine and, and an inspiration to to my writing and, and my career, so. Thank you for not only being on the show, but for what you've done and continue to do for this industry. It's my pleasure. I'd be happy to be on anytime you guys want. Just give me a call and let me know. We will certainly be calling, no doubt about that.
There's one thing I want to say before you guys. It's, it's my new. It's my new mission. Okay, I want everybody out there who's doing gear to do two things and definitely do them. One is get your blood work done. I am sick to death of people coming to me for for coaching that have never had their blood work done. It's absolutely insane. If you have ever done a cycle or are planning on doing a cycle, you are a fucking moron if you don't get your blood work done. That's number one. Number two is get your blood pressure checked. If you are doing a cycle, uh, any kind of cycle for any length of time and training and any degree of, of, of intensity and you don't get your blood pressure checked, once again, you are a fucking moron. You're fucking morons in both cases because you'll probably die of something stupid because you are a fucking moron. So don't be a moron. Live. Blood pressure is a silent killer. I can't tell you how many people I have buried over the last several years because they never checked their blood pressure and they fried their kidneys. Heed that advice, everyone. Don't be a fucking moron, as John says. And um, don't die for a... Uh... Advice that will save your life. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Central Bodybuilding, episode 66. 66. Wow. Brought to you, of course, by Iron Mag Labs. Check out ironmaglabs.com and ironmagresearch.com. You can use coupon code JEFF15 for 15% off. That's G-E-L-F-F-1-5 at checkout. And that's all we got. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. It was a great show, and we'll have you on again. We are out. <laughs>